0: Avast there mates and listen up! Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church in Avon Park set sail from June 25th through June 30th from 5.30 to 8pm with a special Family Fun Night on Friday for the whole family. We'll be casting off with the Proof Pirates this year. You'll not want to miss this thrilling time of fun, games and Bible lessons on the high seas. Send your questions to info at fbcap.net or visit www.fbcap.net. Keep a weather eye out for more information and how to sign up. Proof Pirates, finding the treasure of God's amazing grace. You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681 you can email us at info at fbcap.net We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible and turn to John 3.16. As you're turning there, I've been meaning to do this for several weeks now. I found a John MacArthur Personal Size Study Bible that has no name in it. So jokingly, I always say there are two things you do when you first buy a Bible. Are you ready for these two things? Write them down. They're very spiritual. If it's leather, you smell it. Then you write your name in it. So I have a wonderful brand new John MacArthur Personal Size Study Bible If it is yours, there's no name in it. It's between you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity if it really is yours. But please come get this Bible. These are very dear and costly, but it has been laying around for several weeks. So smell your Bible. Then write your name in your Bible. Those are two things you do when you buy a good, genuine leather Bible. For those that don't get that, you just don't get it. For those that do get it, get it. Uh, But uh, but I'm going to leave that up here. Preferably after I get through preaching, you can come get it. We've been looking at the gospel of John and as we have been watching Christ uh, begin his earthly ministry, there's been some things that are going on. John chapter 2, the wedding, the water into wine and Jesus is saying there's a a new age, something new is taking place, the old and the new, there's something new and Jesus is pointing to himself when he turned water into wine and He used the the means of the old covenant law and works, but he transformed the water into wine as a picture of grace. And then he transitioned into... uh, Uh, the temple and cleansed the temple because of the old they had taken the the old which God had given them to point them to the need of the new but they had taken what God intended as good and turned it into worldly and fleshly and had taken the worship of God into self-commercialism and so Jesus went into the temple and he said there's a not only a, a new age but there's a new temple and I am that temple And then as a result of that, Nicodemus comes to him with questions. A few weeks ago, we looked at Nicodemus, and I want to refresh your memory because we're going to look at John 3, 16 through 21 this morning. John 3, 3, Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, and this would have been just a a theological, earth-shattering comment to a Jew. You must be born again. You know what the need for today in any human being is? The same thing. You must be born again. And Jesus is saying, I'm it. I am the key that holds together this new life. He said, you must be born again. And without being born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to them, how can a man be born again when he is old and when he enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? A typical humanistic response to spiritual things. We try to figure that out. So we're trying to figure the world of, of God's kingdom out in, in, in terms that we can control and things that we can do. How can I be born again? I can't physically do that. Well, Jesus is saying it's not a physical born again. It's a supernatural born again. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, unless there's a, 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 a cleansing, a, a spiritual renewal, a, a change from the inside out, it's never going to happen. Without that, you cannot even, in verse 5, enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that is which is born of the spirit is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again. With that is the backdrop of verse 16, turn there. You must be born again. John 3:16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I'll submit to you this morning this. I think John 3.16-21 shows us exactly what it means and exactly the significance of being born again. I want us to take this text and divide it up into three things, three key figures. One... God, secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then third, man, us. God in his love, Jesus Christ in his ministry of reconciliation, and then our, so what? Our response. Let's look at God. Last week we looked at the love of God so we know about the uniqueness of the love of God. If you take this text and you look at in the Greek and just lay the Greek out there and it does look like Greek, it is Greek to me, but if you lay the Greek out there, it, it it's different than our English in this in this sentence. It starts this way in the Greek. So loved God in the beginning of the sentence, it's not, for God so love. The beginning of the sentence is, so. That says a lot. The main verb in this sentence is, so love. And we think about God and what God is doing. We have to remember, and we looked at this last week, God's love. So loved God. Such an intense love, an almighty love, an eternal love, an absolute love, a saving love. So loved God. So God loved the world that he created, that, that fallen world that he did something. That's the key there. God did something. Because of his agape, his unconditional true love for his creation. We think of this love and yet in just a few moments we're going to look at this idea that the world is condemned already. We can't miss that. So God loved the world and loves his creation. But yet, don't leave me on this. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, the world is condemned already. Have you ever wrestled with things like that? God loves the world, but yet the world is already condemned. A great picture of this Balance, very close fitted together is found in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel is prophesying about the nation of Israel and their exile and he basically, the entire chapter deals with this. Uh, Ezekiel 18, God says, I hate detestable things. I hate that which is evil. I hate disobedience. And he is just casting judgment down on their wickedness. And their fallenness. And then in Ezekiel 18, at the end of the chapter, he says, Yet I take no pleasure in your wicked works. God hates that which is evil. He hates everything that is unholy. But yet he loves his creation. We could end there and just kind of theologically wrestle with that for a few days and months and eons. That there's a God that loves the world, but yet there's a world that is condemned already. And so we looked at last week this love of God. We know that not everybody is okay. We know that, that this idea that just God loves the world, so everybody's okay in the end. It all works out at the end because God loves the world, everybody's okay. But yet we also know that God does love the world and he hates sin and, and he does love humanity, he does love his creation. So we know that not nobody's gonna be saved, right? So it's not like that God's just gonna send the, the you know, but the world is condemned already, so it's just condemned. No. And we looked at the idea that anybody can be saved. Based on what God has done for us in his love. He hates sin and evilness. But yet he is a patient and long-suffering and full of kindness. So loved the world, he gave his only son. So we're looking at God, God's love. He, he loved the world so much. He gave his only special, unique, only begotten son. And so we think about that love. Here's what God did. He looked at the world and its chaos and despair and its fallenness and its lostness, and he sent his son. He loved us so much that he provided a way, and that way is Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about the world that we live in today, you would think that there are many ways to God, right? There are many paths to God. Just turn on the TV and we can have a, a panel discussion of all the religious leaders. And what we do is we fall into that trap of everybody getting along all the time and we want everybody to agree to agree. And so we sit there and we say, who are we to say who's right and who's wrong? And I will just simply say, it's not for me to say God has already said. That's not an ugly, narrow-minded, fundamental, crazy fundamental thing to say. Who are you to say? It's not for me to say. God has said. If God is God is a God that loves and He He looked at the world that has fallen. He had a plan before the foundation of the world, and that plan was redemption, and that redemptive plan was only in Jesus Christ. I was discussing someone somewhere, someday with someone about things, and they were saying, literally said this, you Baptists wrote the Bible and came up with this on your own. Isn't that hilarious to think about? Could you imagine us writing the Bible? Baptists can vary. We can't agree on anything. How could we write a Bible? So yeah, we, we camped out over here in the deep south and we wrote the Bible and made up all this. Now think about it. God sent his son. And was born. Just think about it from a practical standpoint. Where was Jesus Christ born? Where did Christianity begin? Where were the seven letters to the seven churches written? We, we, we wanted, The world wants to say that we Western civilization created Christianity. We have to know that God loved us so much that he sent his son. He provided a way. And that way is Jesus Christ. We, see, we hear so many excuses about things. Well, that's just all they know. Well, you can know something, and that's all you know, and still be very wrong. Well, that's, that's where they were raised. That's where they were brought up. Well, think about that craziness. So someone's just brought up believing something's wrong, so they're not held accountable for that? If I'm grown up in a society where murder you know, applicable, and so when you just get mad at somebody, you murder them, and that's just the culture you have grown up in, who are we to judge? Well, sure, it's us to judge. It's right and it's wrong. And so there's so many man-made excuses of why Jesus Christ cannot be the only way. He is the only way. It's his only special, unique son. And God so loved that he gave us his only begotten son. That whoever believes, we're going to talk about belief in just a few moments. Whoever believes, whoever can comprehend and grasp that he is the son. And I'll get to that in a minute. That whoever believes in what Christ has done and what Christ has provided and what Christ is providing. Whoever believes that, guess what? Should not perish. Now, we know that we're condemned already because the text says that. Should not perish. Think about what happens life without receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We shall perish. What is a soul and a heart without a relationship with Jesus Christ? They continue to perish. Suffer death, or we could say an everlasting death. Let me read some scripture just to remind you. Revelation 20, verses 10 and 15. Revelation 20 and verse 10 and following. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Somebody says, what, is it, what does that look like? I have, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm not the dumbest either. It's kind of like when I describe heaven. I have no idea what heaven's going to be like. It's just going to be a perfect place. I, that's all I know. Somebody said, well, "What is what is hell going to be like?" Well, I don't know. It's a, it's considered a lake of fire and sulfur. Is it really a lake in fire and sulfur? I have no idea. But it's like a fire and sulfur. So, you know, we, we get so hung up on things where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What is hell like? We're tormented day and night forever and ever. Well, I know somebody that believes that you just cease to exist. Well, whatever that somebody believes is not believe in Scripture. We don't cease to exist if we're not a Christian and we just poof we just annihilationism we just disappear our soul apart from Christ is tormented in a place called hell forever and ever and ever and ever just as heaven is perfect and great hell is just the opposite Then I saw a great white throne of him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Every individual would be judged based on what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life... He was thrown into the lake of fire. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, It is an eternal destruction away from the Lord. Now You think about the world that we live in today. There's a, 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 a grace that we all get to have whether we're saved or not. A lost person gets to enjoy God's creation, God's goodness. A beautiful spring day. Kitty cats and puppy dogs. You know, a lost pagan has, a lost, an unregenerate person has good days. An unregenerate person is a, a nice person. An unregenerate person can enjoy the good things of life. It is that special general grace and that general revelation because of the world that we live in that even lost people and unregenerate people get that opportunity to experience the goodness and the grace of God. But it is not salvific grace. So do you know what hell is? take away God's general grace, that is no more. There is no goodness, there is no joy, there is no presence of the Lord, there is no goodness, It's complete separation and isolation from anything that has to do with goodness and grace and mercy and is a torment of eternal damnation forever and ever and ever. That is where everyone is going apart from Jesus Christ. Now, in our mind, we think that we're all just born neutral. I say, I know what people think because I'm a thinker. We all think. In our mind, we think we're all born neutral, okay? Some are bad, some are good, but we're neutral. And so there's a a point in a time that something has to be done. And so, okay, we're born neutral. Here's Jesus. Who's yes and who's no? The no's go to this room. The yes go to that room. That sounds good. It looks good on the inside of a greeting card. I always make fun of greeting cards because we always write stuff on greeting cards that are sweet and nice. That sounds good in the inside of a greeting card, but it's not biblically right. What is biblically right is in Genesis, Adam and Eve sin, and, and all of mankind has fallen, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are already condemned. But apart from Christ, we all shall perish. We're not neutral, we're dead. That's how much God loved us. We are perishing. And God sent his son. So, number one, God's love. He so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes should not perish, but have eternal life. I think that word eternal life carries two meanings. It is a quantity of life, and it's a quality of life. Quantity of life, and it depends on how you look at it, I believe we all have an eternal life, whether we're lost or saved. If I'm an unbeliever, my eternal life is in hell. If I'm a believer, my eternal life is in the presence of the Lord. We use that in the in standpoint of the gospel. For a believer, we have an eternal life that we will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And a lot of times we use that as a reference in, in day-to-day things, something like, you know, somebody doesn't like to go to church. You know, I'm a Christian, but I just don't do religion. Well, what in heaven's name are you going to do in heaven forever? I mean, if you don't like doing it over here, can you like, you know, just silly things we say like that. Well, I just don't have time for religion. And and I've had even people say, it sounds like heaven's going to be boring. If we, now granted, I'll be the first to admit, we're trying to think about heaven in the standpoint of our earthly life where our fallenness and my flesh is still abiding in me. In heaven, that flesh won't be there. Eternal life is in the joy of the presence of the Lord forever. But it also means a quantity of life down here. Pastor Matt made reference. It was a great reference. We as a country are so blessed. Amen? But you know how unique that is? I think sometimes we, you know, and I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, it's like, well, I'm not even going to go there. We are such a blessed nation, but there are people that love the Lord Jesus Christ and they are dying by the thousands for their faith in Christ. A busload of Coptic Christians are massacred over the weekend and we think, well, wonder what they did wrong. They did nothing wrong. And the matter of fact, they probably had more joy of the Lord in their life being martyred for Jesus Christ than we do over here, as fat, happy Christians in America. Amen? You know, the minute something goes wrong in our little world, we run for the hills and we build bunkers and we hide from the world. Oh, my goodness! If we are born again and we have a relationship with Christ, we ought to have a quantity of life full of joy and peace. Even in the midst of suffering, we ought to be able to find our joy in the gospel. My brother had a dear friend in Africa. When my brother was in Africa, and he and his little girl were walking down through the, whatever, the trails of Africa, and these, these, these African folks jump out and beat him near his death. He's laying down, his little daughter's there, and they were like, oh, my goodness, what happened? He got well and went right back to Africa. Why? That's just, he's in Africa. That's what he does. He didn't gauge his missionary service on nothing going wrong. And I think sometimes we miss it. We want our life to be okay all the time. We don't want anything to go wrong. Everything needs to be right. There should be no persecution. Everybody needs to go. We just need to be okay. And that's so unright. Every one of the disciples was a martyr for Jesus Christ, history tells us, other than the John the Apostle. Every one of the disciples that followed Jesus Christ died, a, in our eyes, a horrible martyr death because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Eternal life does not mean we're always going to be happy and joyful and on, the ex, on the external thing on the, out here, but it's a peace and an understanding in here. Once you give your life to Christ, you know who you are and you know who you belong to and you keep your focus on that and that's where you find your purpose and direction in life. Not on the things of you and the things of the world. So sometimes it's kind of like being raised with too much stuff. You ever notice that? Kids that have everything don't know what it's like to be without. Some of y'all have reminded me of that. Some of y'all are a little older than me. And I remember a, a gentleman telling me one time in his 90s, and he lived in Indiana, which is kind of funny because now I'm in Florida, and he said the greatest Christmas he ever had was they got up that morning and their father had given him an orange from Florida. And immediately I thought, if I'd have woke up at nine years old and had an orange, I'd have thrown it at somebody and been mad. Why? Because I was a rotten little kid like you raised your kids to be, where you give us and give us and give us and give us. And so sometimes, even that we are a blessed people like in America, we've had so much stuff We're like spoiled little kids. And if we don't get everything that we want, we think something's wrong. Eternal life means that I know I'm one with Christ, and He is one with me. Verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through Him. Secondly, we have God's love, but we have, secondly, Jesus' ministry, His ministry of reconciliation. Remember in John chapter 1, verse 29, I think it is, John 1, verse John the Baptist and his disciples are sitting there and Jesus walks by and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What did that mean to a a Jew, uh, someone that grew up in a a Pharisaical background? The Lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb that delivered the people out of Egypt, the blood on on the post of the door, that is him. And so when we think about being born again, it's because of God's love, we have a Savior. Think about this for a second. Notice his mission. There's a need. We are helpless. We are depraved. We are of lostness of mankind. There's literally nothing that we can do on our own. Absolutely nothing we can do on our own without Jesus Christ. And he came so that we may have life. Titus 3, 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Did God have mercy on us? Yes. Did God have grace on us? Yes. He sent His only begotten Son because He loved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, what did Jesus say? You must be born again and washed with the water and washed with the Spirit. When He sent His Son, it gave us the opportunity to be washed and born again and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. You ever notice that when you got to the point in your life it's like a, an invitation. I, I learned time of year. I used to be a great invitation giver. You know what that means? I could get people on the altar if I needed to. We're going to come this morning and we're going to play just as I am. And if you're here today, I want you to stand and I want you to close your eyes and nobody's looking around. If you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. And finally, somebody says, somebody please go forward so we can go home. You know, you need to come, 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 you need to come. And then it dawned on me one day, what in heaven? It's not an audible voice, because I don't think there's actually audible voices, but boy, the Holy Spirit can give you some real stern impressions, can't he? One one Sunday, and and I was pastoring in Indiana, I was standing on an altar, and and the, the Lord said, What are you doing? Are you peddling something? Are you trying to get an emotional something? Dear Lord Jesus, just preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and let them come. And I thought that is so true. Can you imagine sitting there? I think about this. Think about you. You are dead and your trespasses and sin. You are sitting there and you are on the hell express, and you're sitting at church on a Sunday morning. I mean, you got you're, you're humming along with ACDC. If you know in the '80s, you know what that song is. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit opens up your heart and mind. You must be born again. And the preacher's preaching and you hear the gospel. and You may have heard the gospel a hundred times, but for the first time it's real to you. And you're sitting there and all of a sudden you realize Jesus Christ died on the cross for John sin and I am the problem here it's nothing else it is my sin against the holy God and I realize that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for my sin and all he asked me to do is respond in faith and come now you think about that for a minute when you know that you are hell bound and headed straight to hell near death and you realize that Jesus Christ can save you it doesn't matter what's going on in the invitation time if the preacher says come you're going to come amen wouldn't you think? Maybe it's just too simple for me to grasp. That's why we never not talk about hell and death and sin and the holiness of God and the you know, redemption and ministry of Jesus Christ because that is the gospel. We want somebody to understand without Christ, they're nothing, but we have Christ, so we have everything. Won't you come? Whom he poured out richly, Titus 3, whom he poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ our Savior. I want to read from Luke 4, 18 and 19. Luke 4, 18 and 19. And it is Jesus reading Isaiah 61. So here we got Jesus in the temple, in the synagogue, and he picks up the scroll and he reads Isaiah 61. So here we are in Luke 4, Jesus in the synagogue reading a scroll of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So he's reading about Isaiah's ministry to proclaim the day of the Lord to the Jews. So we have Jesus reading Isaiah 61 in the synagogue in Luke 4, 18 and 19. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel, you're going to be judged, but there's going to be a day of redemption because God is always going to preserve a remnant, and there's going to be a day of the Lord. Jesus picks that up and says, there's going to be a day of the Lord that will set all those who are oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord. And then in Luke 4, 21, Jesus himself said, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. There's a day of the Lord, and it's found in Jesus Christ, where He sets the captives free and He gives us new life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about just this week a bombing in England. Uh, Egyptian Christians killed on a bus this morning or gate late last night in a couple of neighborhoods in Mississippi eight people are killed and we sit and we look what in the world is going on the same thing that's always going on and the only solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ that's it The issue is not gun control. The issue is not terrorism. The issue is not the economy. The issue is not anything but a lost and a fallen world in need of a Savior. We have to know that we are saved, and we have to know that the gospel is still saving, and we need to believe it, and we need to live it out, and we need to share it. That is the hope of humanity. Jesus is. Not your view of Jesus, not just any Jesus, not what everybody thinks Jesus is, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, the Jesus. We have God's love, we have Jesus' ministry, then we have mankind's response. Whoever believes in him, verse 18, is not condemned. The word is believe. That's the word. Believe. What does that mean? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So they're already condemned by not believing. When they don't believe in Christ, they're already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. So there's condemnation, and here's the judgment. So the judgment will be passed. One day at the great white throne of judgment, the judgment will be based on the Lamb's book of life. And so the judgment is passed. If I get a speeding ticket, the judgment is I was speeding. I broke the law. The judgment is do we respond to the light? The judgment is what do we do With Jesus. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light. Because it works for evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light. Yes, his works would be exposed. But whoever does what is true, verse 21 teaches us, comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Whoever believes, what does it mean to believe? I've heard this many times. I think there's three elements to true belief in something. A belief that leads to trust. A true belief that leads to faith. One is facts. There There's some facts that you must hear. I, I hear what you're saying. I understand that these facts are, are, are tangible facts. I, I believe that there are some facts there. Secondly, We believe that those facts are true. So I hear, that there's a, I, hear, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus was a great prophet. I believe that Jesus was a person, but I don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I don't believe that Jesus is the only way. So a lot of the, you know, religions believe in Jesus, but I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who he was. I believe that everything about Scripture teaches about Jesus is absolutely true, and I affirm them to be true. Here's something to think about. Satan does one and two very well. James tells us that the demons believe who Jesus Christ is and they shudder. They believe that there's a Jesus Christ. They have great, The Satan has great theology, by the way. Satan believes every bit of this is absolutely true. We got preachers in America that don't believe all this is true. I've heard some television preachers look at on, on national TV and say, "Well, it's not for us to say." Well, who is it supposed to say? The devil will say it. He believes every bit of it's true. You know what separates Jesus? You know what separates Satan from a believer? What makes Satan Satan? He won't embrace them personally and apply them in his life. True saving faith is when we're, let's just go to a church context. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the ministry of Jesus Christ. I believe that everything that Scripture teaches about Jesus Christ. But third, have you ever embraced them personally and repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, not just as your Savior, but as your Savior and your Lord, and you've entered into a relationship with Christ? When that happens, you have a new master in life. You have a new allegiance in life. You have a new heart in life. In your order of service, in your bulletin on the right-hand side, I copied and pasted that little thing by John MacArthur. In the, if you have a John MacArthur Study Bible, which is the John MacArthur Study Bible, it's in here. What is genuine saving faith? I thought this was incredible. and when I, when I first read that, just think about it real quick. This does not mean that you are genuinely saved. Visible morality, intellectual knowledge, religious involvement, active in church. I know that sin is sin. I think I'm okay. There's a time of decision. That ought to scare us to death. that any, A lost person can check off those seven things. I've joined a church. I've been baptized. I've done these things. I believe in this. I'm doing these. Those are things that I can do on my own. I can be a moral person. I can be a good person. Hell is going to be full of good people. Just because you're a good person doesn't mean you get to go to heaven for eternity. Only a good, the only people that are going to heaven for all eternity are those that are repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ. So the first seven anybody can do. But notice that second list. Do I love God? Do I have, has there been a repentance over sin a genuine humility, devotion to God's glory, Continue. These are things that can only come out of a changed heart. This is a manifestation of, you know, so I'm not saying this to be cued and to say, okay, now, I think a lot of you aren't saved. This ought to be something we sit down and ask ourselves. Have I ever repented of my sin and placed my faith in Christ or have I just always grown up going to church? Or I mean, what's going on here? How many people do we know in our life? I mean, think about your own family. Don't even look at my family. You focus on your family. Think about all the people in your family that you think have done something, but they're not doing anything. I mean, there's no love of God. There's no Christ light. Their life has never changed. A born-again believer should not look just like the world. But it's not difficult. It's not like we want to be saved and we can't. If we know that we need to be saved and we know that our sin is the issue, when we call on the name of the Lord, we are saved. I had a friend one time joking. He used to always say, every time I see Billy Graham, I pray the prayer again just to be sure. I understood what he was saying. But no, if you've repented over your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Remember John 1, John 1, 4, 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light is here. The light of the gospel is shining radiantly and bright in a lost humanity. The gospel is sufficient. The gospel is enough. God is doing his part John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of light. There's two responses. We either believe and come to the light and we are saved. God, I know you love me so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for my sin. And Lord. I'm grateful that through the regeneration. Of the Holy Spirit. You have shown me very clearly. I am a sinner. and need of salvation. And Lord. By faith today. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And change me. And allow me to be yours. You know. Whoever believes that and confesses that is walking to the light I'm lost I'm in darkness I'm in, I just, I cannot do it anymore Lord Jesus thank you for showing me the light I am coming to the light it's not about morality, it's not about being a good person, it's not about being part of a church, it's not about all the stuff. It's about coming to Jesus Christ and living for him and loving him and laying that at the altar. There's only two responses. Those who do not believe, they will not come to the light and they will live in darkness. And they will love their evil works. I had a gentleman tell me one time, Pastor, I'm gonna get saved when I get my life turned around. That'd be like saying I'm gonna have kids when I can afford them. Don't ever happen. You don't come to Jesus. After you get your life taken care of, you come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me and cleanse my life. You bring all that with you and you lay it at his feet because he's the only one that can do it. Let's close with this. But when someone, look at verse 21, but when someone does what is true, they come to the light. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen what his works have been carried out by God. Maybe this morning you need to come to the light. Abide in the light and follow the light and obey the light and love the light. Maybe this morning you've never publicly professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are ready to identify with Christ and follow through with baptism and join the church and be part of something with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning as a believer but you have wandered in your walk with Jesus Christ. There's only two lives that we live, a life of a believer and a life of an unbeliever. But sometimes as a life as a believer, we lay down the things that the Lord has given us, our prayer, our Bible meditation study, our involvement with the local church, our serving Him throughout the week, and we begin weary and downtrodden, and we get living like the world, and we forget that we belong to the light, and that we belong to Jesus Christ. Maybe today you need to change that. I can't do it for you. I've had so many people. I wish I had a. If I had five dollars for everybody that somebody said this, that I could give to missions, we'd have a hundred more missionaries out in the international mission field. Lord, what can John, Pastor? What can we do to help them? There's nothing we can do for anybody but point you to the light. There's nothing we can do for anybody but to hold you accountable and to encourage you and to prod you and keep pointing you to the light. You have to come to the light and live in the light and abide in the light and follow in the light. And you know you need to because God is burning your heart right now to do so. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in the dark? Let's stand as we sing. Lord God, we are thankful for the opportunity and privilege that we can say i am thine o oh. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we are here today, that we understand that we have that assurance of our salvation. You have opened our eyes to the truth by your grace and your mercy, and we have responded by faith to that gospel call, and we know that we are saved. We have publicly professed that. We have identified with the local church. We have followed through with baptism, and we are living every day for your honor and glory as we grow closer to you with every step of the life. Lord, help us to have that assurance this morning that we are yours. And this we pray in Christ's name.